What if the key to a fair and just society lies in the interconnectedness of our inner and outer worlds? Welcome to Lenses of Liberation, the podcast where we unlock the secrets to a brighter future for all. I'm Rachel Snyder, and along with my co-host, Joanne Singh, we will embark on a transformative journey unraveling the vibrant tapestry of social change and weaving together diverse voices to create a world where no one is left behind. Join us as we engage with thought leaders, experts, and visionaries across a wide range of topics from diversity, equity, and inclusion to regenerative business, impact investing, healing, wellness, and so much more. Lenses of Liberation is more than a podcast. It's a movement of changemakers actively building a brighter future by reshaping the world one lens at a time. Today, Rachel and I went into a deep conversation about creating structural change in the workplace. We're seeing this shift of people leaving corporate to start working for themselves. And that's happening for a lot of reasons. The reality is, is that we need to do some unlearning. And so that's what this conversation is about. It's about unlearning what we know and believe about productivity. Rachel and I talk about her own relationship with productivity and what that could look like if we were operating from a different place. We talk about unlearning harmful beliefs that are intertwined with capitalism, this mindset of the more you do, the more worthy you are as a human being. And how much is really enough in terms of what we create in the world, our impact, the money that we accumulate. And we go into this conversation around belief systems and how that intersects with what we create as a sustainable, impact-oriented business. This is a juicy conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about business. I think there's been a common thread around um, what shifts are necessary and how we do business um, moving forward. And one of the statements that really stuck out to me was when we spoke with Alexis, and she said, we're working so hard to put band-aids on structural issues. And meanwhile, if we were to like shift our focus and actually address the structural issues, like maybe we wouldn't actually need to work so hard. And I specifically think about like the nonprofit sector when I hear that, because like that sector has been there to kind of like address like where are the gaps in the structure in the system and people who work in that space tend to work with like smaller resources and there's like this mindset of like oh you're doing great work it's so that means like you shouldn't get paid more which is like really bizarre because like, oh the money should go to the beneficiaries or the people and so then like people get paid less those organizations are like under resourced which in itself is a structural issue and then they're also trying to solve like structural issues like that result in houselessness or like hunger, like poverty. And I think about people in that sector, especially in the last couple of years, have experienced a lot of burnout. Like the nonprofit sector, um, like statistically has experienced more burnout during like the quote unquote great resignation than other sectors. Um, in the, and I just like, that just, that just stuck with me. Cause I'm like, well, that's true. 
And, you know, it might take some time for us to address structural issues. So like, what do we do? And my mindset comes back to like, you know, how do we actually do less and how can doing less be more impactful mm-hmm. and like productivity and how we re how we define productivity you think about like the origins of like that word and you know like the industrial era and like the notion of like factories and output and like how that has transpired into like how we view labor and you know like we have to do more to create more and I think there's this questioning, especially in that conversation with Alexis, where she talked about like, you know, her trimming back her hours to working like a four day work week. And she generally doesn't work after I think she said two or 3 p.m. And, um, you know, she still seems like someone who creates, you know, powerful impact in the world. And so I'm just like very much interested in this exploration of like, how do we shift from this like do, do, do mentality do more with the belief system that that's going to somehow be more impactful to seeing like a different way of viewing productivity and so i'm really curious to know you know from your experience rachel like what's your relationship with productivity like has it changed over the years or is it still the same and like where do you feel it's not like working for you yeah, so it's just so it's such an, an amazing topic, right? Because everything that you're talking about is very counterintuitive to what how we're conditioned to view work and view ourselves and view our worth in the world, right? The current mentality everywhere, at least in America or Western civilization, is the, the questions that are being asked are always how can I be doing more? How can I be making more? How can I have more? There's it's always about more. And what we're really talking about right now is the ability to do more and have more by doing less and needing less. Right. And and so those this topic, it's much deeper than work. It is lifestyle. It's it's how we show up in the world. And so when we start talking about this, when we start having the conversation, um, it's important, at least for me, to make note of that, that these um, these elements that we're addressing, they go much deeper and they are really tied to our sense of worth. Um, part of this capitalist structure has intricately woven our self-worth to our work and what we are able to produce for the machine or for, for business, for whatever it is that we do. Um, also for our families, for our partners, like there's always this focus on how much we can give, how much we can do. And so to respond to the question about how I've shifted my mentality and productivity, I have to start by addressing how I've shifted my self-worth and how I've started to reevaluate my worth as a as a human being on this planet away from what I'm able to produce to who I am and how I live and how I show up to the world. Um, and from that, I can then start to address what work means to me, how I can be productive without um, sacrificing the, you know, the bare necessities that fuel me you know, beyond housing and food, um, beyond a label, you know, et cetera. And so 
for me on that journey, um, I have always, you know this, I've always had a really strained relationship with productivity and with discipline. Part of that is having a really early childhood diagnosis of ADHD and struggling with attention, overperforming, um, again, intricately tying my worth to what I'm able to, how I'm able to perform uh, and getting myself into corporate environments in my 30s, late 20s, early 30s, where I was working, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, um, extraordinarily burnt out, <laughs> like burnt out beyond typical burnout. Um, I was, at, you know, peak pandemic crying many times a day um, and yet still incapable of of leaving my job that was making me feel that way because um, I was living in, in a place of scarcity mentally where I didn't feel like I could leave. Um, I didn't feel like I could let my peers and my family down by stepping away from a prominent position that I had worked so hard to get. Um, and then systemically inside the organization, um, there was nobody looking to create systems changes. There was nobody, nobody cared to address the structural issues or why there was burnout, why people that were on salary were working double, you know, what they had committed to with no overtime or, or any, you know, talk about that. It was just expected. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting. It was like, if you care, if you care about this company, if you have loyalty to this company, like this is, you'll just want to do this for us. And um, yeah, there was just sheer exhaustion. Um, and so leaving that, my journey around um, exploring what productivity meant to me and how I could show up, you know, in my career in a different way really started to look like, you know, how can I honor my needs as a human? How can I spend time outside? How can I spend time with people who I love? How can I make sure that I'm feeding myself, you know, healthy food, not rushing through what I eat? How can I make sure that I have time for hobbies, creative passions, reading, education, um, and still have a balance with the career that matters to me? Um, how can I continue to cultivate financial stability? Um, and how can I continue to work towards this, you know, these different goals that I had set for myself, um, not just in my career, but in the ways in which I wanted to help people? How can I find a balance? And, you know, I feel very blessed that I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm out, out of the corporate workforce. And so I've been able to structure my life differently. Um, but I think that the conversation around how we create that balance <clears throat> within a corporate organization structure is a much different conversation that needs to be had, um, desperately needs to be had, um, considering the majority of our workforce are not entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I think like what comes up for me is like a powerful question around what do you need to cultivate in your life to do your best work? Mm -hmm. And, you know, acknowledging that that can be done at the individual level. And it can also be really challenging where you're in a corporate environment where it's, there are real structural issues. It will only take you so far. 
right? And that's just like, I actually saw a post um, yesterday that I reshared on Instagram where it was like sources of burnout and it was like in two different columns. And one was like the more structural issues, which is like leadership challenges, like, you know, and so forth, like things within the organization. And then there's like, the behavioral aspect, which is like, you know, if you're, you have a tendency to be a people pleaser or you, you don't have like strong boundaries, like how is that, like, how can you cultivate, um, you know, just greater well-being in your life through addressing your inter, like your personal things. And I, what my response to that was like, these are both true. And to me, like when we're talking about burnout in particular, there's just like, you know, the the mindset around like self-care and like that means like going to the spa or like taking a bath. And those things are absolutely an aspect of self-care. But if we were to put this into like layers, like to me, that's like the surface layer and like the deeper work is like, you know, the structural things within the organization and like the inner work. And I feel like you need both in order to really create a an environment that will center people's well-being mm -hmm. um i think that the challenge is that people are like i'll just take a vacation or i need a vacation i need to unplug and i think that can help in the short term with burnout but like i think when there's like some real deep rooted sources behind the burnout that's not gonna fix it and that's when people are like throw their hands up in the air and they're like, I'm out of here. And they jump from one corporate job to the next. And, you know, it's just a matter of time because these structural issues are common, <laughs> right? In the culture, it's just a matter of time before you go through your honeymoon phase within a company. And then you hit this hit, like you, you run up against the same problems. Mm -hmm. And I feel, you know, when people talked about the great resignation, one, the great resignation talked was more focused on the service industry, but you know somehow the corporate world co-opted it and was like, oh, we have all this turnover, and we're calling it the great resignation. It's like, no, that's not actually what the original intention of that term for. And two, it's become this like revolving door because people are like, what what I think happened was like people just realized that you know this is not working. They they we got put into a situation that was, you know, brought in a whole new set of stressors, things that we're not accustomed to, you know, be having as a part of our life and um, experiencing a, a decrease in your sense of community and, you know, like not being allowed to be around other people, fear around like the uncertainty of like what was going to happen. There was obviously like real economic impacts of, of lockdowns and so forth. And I think it just like pushed a lot of people off the edge. Mm -hmm. And that's when people are like, no, we're just not going to do this anymore. And we have seen a lot of um, people leave the workforce to start their own businesses. There's been like statistics around the number of women that left the workforce because of like the inequitable labor at home and the fact that they still have to carry on with their jobs and them saying like, you know what, it's not worth it. Um, and I feel like now we're in a position where employers are really grappling 
with this. Like, I think there are some organizations that have figured this out. I think there's a lot that are like just spinning. <laughs> They're in this downward spiral because it's like a revolving door. People are coming and leaving. And in any environment like that, it's hard to build momentum. And um, what comes up for me here, this was kind of, to me, it was really clear in the conversations that we've had is the importance of having moments of self-reflection. And I like the concept of like working in sprints and like then pull it back and being like, well, what's actually going on here? And having the right feedback mechanisms in place to be able to see like, okay, what's, what's not working here? And not just like what you're having, like not just what you think is not working, but ensuring you're able to like somehow get, you know, some sort of unbiased feedback around that. And I just don't think, I think what there's a lot of people still operating from survival mode because like the door is like just revolving so quickly and they're always feeling behind. And it's like, almost like a scarcity mindset of like, we can't slow down because we're barely keeping up. And it's a paradox of like slowing down to go faster. Um, and it's just like, it really showed up for me in the conversations. And that's something I've just intuitively believed for so long. Um, and it's really almost validating to hear different people share their experiences and what they've learned and how they've found some sort of cadence that works for them and have been able to develop or create success from it. I think that's a challenge that there's not enough case studies, you know, like the Western mind. So there's not enough like proof, I think, to convince people otherwise. And so people are still spinning and it will continue to until one day someone wakes up and they're like, this is not working. Yeah. Well, I mean, the perpetual downfall of capitalism is that it's never satisfied. In order for capitalism to be successful, it has to always be creating more. It it, it requires more constantly. There is never... Um, there is never a completion. There is never a status of finality. Um, and so everybody within that system has to always be contributing more. Um, and it's not a sustainable structure. Um, and so I really love the question that Joel asked and that Treya mentioned, I think off camera too, which is um, like, how much is enough? Like when, when, is, when do you have enough? Um, and this is a question that is prevalent in my consulting business and how I coach other people. Um, people come to me and I, I think that you, we've, we've had this conversation in the past where um, in the world of coaching and consulting, there's this like um, this trend right now, 20K months, six figure months, um, selling this dream of grandeur. And that dream of grandeur is people don't. I don't know that people are, are cognitively aware of this, but it's sold to us um, it, to manipulate us into constantly working more because we're constantly spending and therefore we constantly need more. And so it's this very, um, it's like a, a, it's a cycle that we're stuck in 
um, until we choose to remove ourselves from it, right? And that question of like, when is it enough? Um, how much is enough? Is so important to be asking our, ourselves. Um, and, and a question that I ask my clients all the time is, instead of how much do you want, what do you need? You know, that is a really important question is like, um, all right, you're coming to me because your business is struggling or, you know, you're not cultivating the, the level of financial wealth that you're looking for. The first question is, you know, have you looked at, you know, your bills and your expenditure? What do you need? And then what what is the number that would, you know, get you to a place of comfort and stability where all of your needs are met, all of your bills are paid, and you have enough to save, you can take some trips, you can do things for your family. What does that look like? I can tell you this much, it's not 20K. It's not it's not 100K per month. Um, and so that question of, of how much is enough is really important. And more often than not, when we ask ourselves that question, it goes a lot deeper than our bills. Um, and it's deeply rooted in um, substantial lack of fulfillment in our life, um, which nodding back to that cycle stems from not being able to participate in the, the activities in our lives that bring us joy and fulfillment um, at a much deeper level. And so I really love that Joel brought this up. I really love that Treya brought it up. I believe the Ancestor Project brought it up. Um, this came up a lot in, in our conversation, um, not just like how much is enough, but what is it that we really need? Um, and then, you know, how do we cultivate that? Like really shifting that conversation to um, like, how do we create something different? How do we do it differently? How can we as individuals create change in our workforce? How can we create change in our individual businesses? What does this look like? Does it really look like a massive wave of people leaving corporate and create, you know, becoming entrepreneurs? Probably not. We, we need laborers to sustain our economy. Um, but like, how can we support each other? How can we support the, the global economy um, and, and the global community in cultivating a better life for themselves while sustaining the uh, the structure that keeps us all held up. You know, these are the questions that that we're really looking to answer. I think, and that we're really exploring. Um, and I think it's intricately tied to deeper feelings and and what we need in life beyond just um, the material. Yeah, it is. It is very deep and. <sighs> You, you said something that really I'd like to go deeper on, which is, you know, is the answer what we're seeing, which is a lot of people leaving corporate and starting to work for themselves. We've seen a huge shift. And, you know, at the end of the day, you will probably have people working with you at some point, unless you are, you know, a solopreneur. And there is a difference between being an entrepreneur and a business owner, like a business operator, being a business owner are two different things. Um, and, you know, if you're putting yourself in a, a position of leadership and you've got people who you are, you've brought in to work with you, that's how corporations start, right? Like, and so, um, there is also this necessary, I think, awareness around, you know, 
if you don't take the time to really unpack and learn, like unlearn and relearn um, what is the root cause of this behavior, when you go and start your own business, it is just a matter of time before you replicate it. Right. That I think, and I think that's seeing with the mindsets that, you know, we've encountered in some of these spaces is like a replication. And I, I want to be clear, like, I don't think people are malicious. I think it's just, there's not awareness around it that they are taking this like heavily capitalist mindset, the very thing that they are running away from and are, you know, preaching against, especially in like the spiritual entrepreneur world. And then they're just doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're coming in with this mindset of like, how can I get the most out of this thing? Yes. And this speaks to the conversation around like exploitation and extraction and thinking that everything around you is meant to be used up as opposed to seeing your inner relationship with it and bringing it back to like the more the business context this came up in our conversation with Adriana when we talked about human-centered leadership and the work that she does and you know, specifically, this is a great example of like this well-intentioned thing called diversity, equity, and inclusion that has in reality become a tick box, like check the box exercise for many organizations. And the reason why, from my experience and what I've seen, is that to do the deeper work means slowing down. And they are scared to slow down because they are caught in scarcity thinking, look, we don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. We have to deliver to our funders or our investors or whoever the stakeholders are. There's fear. And there there hasn't been quite the, I think, awakening like at the leadership level to say like, oh, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. We can't just like put it on the back burner and pull it out whenever we need to complete our checklist or do our audit or whatever the case may be. We actually sit with it and we have to do our own work around these concepts. And it's about coming back to like relationships, about being human centered and getting in like that right relationship with yourself and with each other. And I think like I've actually seen organizations that have done this and you can feel the difference energetically you can feel that something is just different about their approach and i whenever i come across leaders who have taken that more like slow path in cultivating this type of change i ask them i get curious and i ask them questions and consistently they say each and years and it took many many conversations where they didn't have answers. Mm-hmm. And I think like, the Western mindset is like, everything has to be productive. That means we need to arrive at an answer right away. We we don't have space to sit and be like, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's somehow deemed as like not productive. Mm-hmm. If you think about like performance evaluations, you're being performed on like achieving a goal. But what if your performance evaluations were shaped around like, 
different behaviors? What it was like, what if it was shaped around like, how much time did you dedicate to explore something that you still don't have the answer to? Mm. What does that exploration look like? Um, I think about something that Alexis brought in, which was like the concept of, um, she referenced her friend that does this work around there's people profit planet and that purpose, but she said purpose is really about like well-being. Mm-hmm. What if you centered well-being into your performance system? Say, how much time are you cultivating to taking care of yourself? And if you're not doing that, something's not working because that means you can't possibly bring your best work through mm-hmm. organization. It's not possible. Yeah, something that's coming up for me in this conversation too that I would love to to touch on is, um, you know, we're I think we are talking a bit in like broad um, topics when it comes to like how can we change the current landscape, and um, I'd love to talk a little bit about a specific um, that's coming up for me again. I mentioned like diagnosed ADHD, something that I have both struggled with and also celebrated in my life, and. Um, you know, in a corporate environment, I am required to come in at, you know, usually like the nine to five and sit in one place from nine to five in a cold room with the fluorescent lights in front of my computer in my and not move and work in that extended period with maybe a lunch break in between. Uh, and I can tell you this right now, that is not, not in any way, shape or form, my optimal work environment. That is not in any way how I perform best. Um, I am incredibly smart. I'm incredibly talented. I'm incredibly experienced and I'm very good at my job. Uh, but if you get me in a, in a chair from nine to five, I am going to zone out. I am going to really, really struggle. I work best in short burst and then release, short burst, release. When I work from home uh, right now, which is uh, my, my business is flourishing, I feel really great. Like that is what I do. I, I work a, a, you know, a handful of hours a day and those hours, they ebb and flow and I get to move around and I op- oftentimes go upstairs, be outside, move my body. Um, you know, back when I was in the States, I had like a little one of those little treadmill things, getting my body moving while I was working. Um, And my productivity goes from, you know, neutral, just getting by to out of this world. Um, And one of the ways in which this is really a struggle too, is like, um, if I go by an hourly structure um, or I'm in an office, when I'm productive, I'm getting more done than some of my peers during a shorter period of time. And then I'm forced to do even more work instead of being able to leave when that work is done, which leads to much faster burnout. Or I'm using all of my energy and beyond to just try to create that work in an environment that doesn't work for my brain. And I'm exhausted and it leads to burnout really fast, right? And so my question has always been, well, why can't I just if this is the work that needs to be done, why can't I do it in the way that is best for me, produce for you the best possible result for your business, uh, and then have my time back? Um, and so this is one of the many places where I see the capacity for change um, existing and also being quite simple. Um, I love, I think it was Adriana that talked about um, like simplifying things, like how can this be easier? Um, like to me, the solution there is so simple. 
Um, it requires us to come to terms with the fact, though, that what we've been doing doesn't work and being able to let go of that and implement something new. And that is really tough. That is really tough, especially because, you know, we have so many leaders, CEOs who are old school, who have done it a certain way, um, and they see a, that type of change as a breeding ground for laziness. We see this a lot right now in the struggle trying to get people back into an office post-pandemic where people had the opportunity to work from home and we know how productive people were. Uh, we can show them the numbers all day long and people still associate um, work from home with with uh, breeding ground for laziness. And so um, more of those conversations have to be had in the boardroom at, a, at an executive level. Um, and it requires us like letting go and, and admitting that maybe we were wrong and that there was a better way to do things. And like that, that takes a lot of um, uh, releasing the ego. And that's hard when you're, when you come from a place of power. Yeah. It's ego is a huge part of it. And it comes back to like that survival. Like, you know, the ego has the purpose of survival, like helping mm -hmm. us survive. And, you know, I think part of it is like, this is part of being human and recognizing that sometimes we do slip into that mode, but having the level of self-awareness to see when you're operating from survival and be like, okay, what are the tools I need to call on? What are the support systems I need to draw from in order to get me back to that other place? And um, the, the question, because I love questions, the question that comes up when, based on what you shared is like, how do you cultivate an environment where people can thrive and do their best work? And I think if you if you center that question, the answers will come, right? And I also think it's completely valid for someone to say, you know, the type of company I want to run is one where people come in five days a week. That is fine. There are people who thrive in that type of environment. There are people who do not do well with like being having the level of autonomy you know, that working from home might allow them to, or maybe their home is just not a place that is supportive of work. And so it's fine to say that. I think the the necessary step is to just name it and own it and say, these are the type of people that would thrive in this type of environment that we cultivated. And having the level of awareness to say, you know, you can be really talented, but like this is what we've cultivated. Because at some point in time, if your company grows, right, you're going to, you can't just have people chaotically working their own schedules. You're going to have to have meetings, you're going to have client deliverables and communications and so forth. And so there has to be like a give and take. But the, I think just centering that question could be such a powerful exercise. And not presuming what people need. The, the other challenge too, though, and this is like, you know, and like not everyone has the answer. Like if I should go and just randomly ask 100 people what they need to help them thrive in their work, not everyone's going to have the answers. Mm -hmm. like, I ask people, I ask this in my work, and people sometimes don't have the answers. Mm -hmm. And so this is, I think, the challenge that leaders find themselves in because, 
you know, sometimes what people say they want is actually not what truly is for their benefit. And leaders then go in and they make these decisions that, you know, from their perspective is like the right thing to do. And there's like a lot of just our humanity comes out, right? <laughs> there's there's a lot of our, it's messy doing this work. Um, but yeah, it comes back to that. And just having really honest conversations with people, I think up front, and, and, but then it comes back to like shifting away from being transactional to human centered. And, you know, as a leader, I want to ensure that you are in a position and a role and an environment that is truly going to allow you to be your best self. And if that means that, you know what, this is not the right place for you, then we have that conversation, right? Because if it's not working for you, it's not working for us. Mm-hmm. That is very different than how performance management conversations go. Right. It's reality, right? It's like, you're not doing the job, you're out of here. It's not coming from that, like, let's have an honest conversation about what's not working here. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, all of what you're talking about requires a human-centered approach. Um, and that that arguably is the, the biggest lift, is, is shifting to a place where we are always 100% of the time treating people as individual human beings and and not just laborers, not just people coming and showing up to do a task. Each person that that owns their role is is a unique individual human being. And it might sound like a big lift, but that lift towards treating, you know, the, the, this human-centered approach, it optimizes everything else. It makes everything else easy. So we do this one thing and everything becomes more efficient. Everything becomes better for everybody. Um, but it does require the foundational work to unlearn and learn an, anew um, to, to gravitate away from this system that we've been in that does not value us as individual human beings into a space where we really treat each other um, as valuable individuals. Um, to me, that is arguably the greatest lift uh, when we are talking about the corporate workforce. Um, I know for myself, I mean, worked in, I've worked in, I've worked in plenty of corporate environments where we have, you know, those HR checklists, um, you know, how we're going to, how we're going to be for the people. And, and it's really not about the people at all. <laughs> at <laughs> all. There's, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, not at all. I, I think back to myself about a, a, a big, a big um, Q&A that we did with the CEO of one of my previous places of employment. And um, we had these, you know, it was very corporate. We had like a little box and you could submit your question anonymously and then the CEO would read them. And um, this is prior to the pandemic. And, you know, I think we had like 250 people in, in our massive office in Austin, Texas. And um, like 80% of all of the questions were talking about getting, um, you know, uh, some sort of cost uh reparation for um the commute because it was off of a highway and there was a toll and it was expensive and it was like absolutely not we can't do that but we're implementing nap pods and it was this like it was this hilarious moment for me you know as a worker where i was like dude 
what are you talking about nap pods? Like most of us, we had, we had a PTO that most of us couldn't use because there was always so much to do that we could never actually take our time off. And then, you know, when we were in, it was just so out of touch with reality. Um, and yeah. so it really, you know, what I'm getting at here is that it really requires leadership to look at their workforce and ask like, what do these people really need to have those actual, like actually have the conversations, not just ask yourself, what do these people need? Ask the people what they need, right? Yeah. And, and creating an environment where they have that. And creating an environment where people will be honest. I mm. think that challenge, right? Like I've gone through the experience of doing engagement surveys or exit interviews. And I've actually had the experience where like when someone had an exit interview, I was puzzled because I was like, you are not telling the truth. Like mm. I knew enough about that person's situation to know that there was something going on but then their exit interview was like all sunshine and rainbows and so there's that element of like have you created the environment where people can tell you the truth right and that is not i hate to say this because there's so much great leadership programs out there and from my experience it's not about learning leadership strategy. Like that's an element of it. It's about doing the work with yourself because when people don't feel safe, it's probably because you don't feel safe to be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's like that. I, I, I can't say that factually, but that has been my experience. When I come across leaders who just have like an aura of openness, actually I was in a call last week with someone and, um, it was a coaching conversation and that that person actually said that about me and like it was like they used the word aura and i'm like you have the aura that like people will feel comfortable to be candid with you and that was my experience it was like you know having a number of these conversations within a company i was like surprised how candid people were with me and i'm like that's great and that is you know that the reason why this works really well is because i don't work within the company people feel like there truly is a space a safe space for them to come and speak the truth and i also think as a leader within the company you can cultivate it it won't be equal for everyone right and so it's this intertwining of like back to like doing the inner work and that sort of ebbing and flowing into like what you create out create out in the world and yes there is a, a time and place for you know, learning strategies around conflict management and so forth. But like, if you have poor boundaries as a leader, how do you think people will respond to you? Mm -hmm. If you yourself are trying to prove your own worth through your work, what kind of company do you think you're building? Right. And I have a belief system that your leadership is just an expansion of who you already are. It's not what you do but it's who you are i think brene brown has a favorite quote that says exactly that and it comes back to like that relation re relational aspect and the relationship we have with ourselves and and then also like looking at our relationship with other people mm -hmm. um and i think it really comes down to like putting yourself in spaces that will expose you to a different way of thinking and building your community such that you can be supported as you navigate through what might feel unprecedented. Like 
working at a slower pace or or having an environment that you know looks different than what you're used to what you have sort of created as a model your model of the world what business should be um you know when i think about the whole like shifting to a hybrid environment or like people went completely remote during during covid so many people are like oh this is not sustainable and i was like do you understand that they are successful companies that exist that have employees all around the world that work 100 percent remote it exists it doesn't mean that it's right for you or right for what you are creating in your business but have you taken the time to learn about what that company might be doing differently mm. and being, being willing to explore and to learn from other people who created something that looks differently it may not give you the exact blueprint but it will give you some clues to success that you may not already feel like you may feel is currently inaccessible or you feel is impossible mm-hmm. at this time mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have anything to say that. I just wanted to sit with it for a minute. Okay. We, we can clip this part. I <laughs> I was trying to find a way to um maybe you can help me with this and we can flow back into it. But um I was I was looking at your notes. Um, and looking at how in Joel's, he said, um, how do we develop an ethical, moral, and spiritual framework that we can mm-hmm. function and see responsibility for our actions? And I was also thinking about how Adriana talked about like, um, abundance as a mindset. And, and then I was thinking about, um, the conversation that we had with Daniel where um, we're talking about impact investing, but there's like, um, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. And so, you know, there's like an integration aspect that I want to talk about here of like, um, to actually do the work that we say that we want to do, it, it requires some sacrifice and it requires us having to make some difficult decisions that might risk, pose a risk to the financial uh, abundance, you know, for a period of time, um, but it fulfills all of these other places and then we can grow from there. And so I was kind of thinking about how to tie that back in to what what we're currently talking about. You can just like segue into it and just say I've been like thinking about these different points and like trying to um just say like I just want to switch gears like we're doing like yeah sure um brain work um (laughs) yeah so thinking about thinking about everything that we've talked about so far something that I didn't want to leave behind um, 
we had a conversation with Daniel um, talking about impact investing. And what was really fascinating to me, right? Uh, you know, if you've come this far and you've listened to that episode, um, you've heard me talk about how this is a lot of a lot of this is new to me. Um, it's not in my it's not in my periphery. Um, and so the the conversation there was really extraordinary for me, really exciting and really enlightening. Um, but when I hear the words impact investing, to me, the intention there is to be purposeful and intentional around where we're investing to do more good, right? There is like, how can we create an impact on the world through this investment, right? And yet we saw in that conversation when we were talking about the structure of impact investing, um, there was a conversation about like not wanting to bite the hand that feeds you. And so, you know, through this conversation, I'm kind of thinking about the different threads. I'm thinking about the reality of impact investing. I'm thinking about um, Joel and Adriana both talking about the moral, ethical, and spiritual impact, the moral, ethical, and spiritual implications in business. Um, And really what it boils down to me is um, prioritizing these things and being willing to sacrifice, um, sacrifice a little bit of the creature comfort to create something in life that is more meaningful than just the money. Um, and I do believe, deeply believe in my own business and my own life and in the conversations that we've had, I do deeply believe that that when we prioritize these things, the money is there. Um, I believe that the money is always there, right? And so I don't know that we have to sacrifice financial stability to be able to pursue these things that are more important or that we, we deem as more important or that we choose to be more important. But I do think it... it it necessitates discomfort. Um, it necessitates letting go and it necessitates making choices that are in alignment with the values that you say that you have, um, really putting your money where your mouth is. And this is something that you and I talk about a lot, Joe, is putting your money where your mouth is and really embodying the values that you say that you have. Um, and so what this looks like, I think, you know, in, in maybe impact investing in a corporate environment, um, wherever, is in this, you know, ah, where'd you go? I'm here. Sorry, my phone was ringing and my whole screen disappeared. Paul has his work cut out for him on this one. <laughs> um, where was I? You were saying about impact investing and. Oh, yes. So what this looks like, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not in the impact investing world, but I imagine what this can look like is biting the hand that feeds you. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that it has, it really comes down to putting your money where your mouth is. If you're here to create an impact and you are incapable of creating that impact because the money doesn't flow that direction, then remove yourself from that hand and find another one that will feed in the direction that you're looking to go. That, I mean, it sounds, I know that it's a lot more complicated than that, right? I know that in actuality, it's not that easy, but I think that it's necessary. 
I agree. There is a shift around courage and integrity and abundance, like coming back to that mindset of abundance, which we did talk about with Adriana around, you know, which clients you like flipping it around to like, you're an entrepreneur doing less work, which clients will you accept? Right? What does your evaluation process look like as you continue down the journey to work with a client? Right? Do you have agreements that you enter into that are beyond the like standard contractual stuff? And, um, you know, I, I have come across one example of this person. I can't remember exactly what the, her work is. It's around like construction and doing like, I think it's, I think it's, she, she runs a construction company that builds like socially, um, like social housing or something to that effect. And she talked about this saying like, if someone's going to give her money and put in restrictions in how she functions, she says, no, she's like, I know there's someone else who can give me the money. Mm -hmm. And this is actually incredibly important because, because I come, especially from the nonprofit space, it's so easy to get trapped in that scarcity mindset and agree to take money from a funder that essentially is going to create more issues for you down the road, right? So I think there's an element of mindset. And, you know, this comes back to some of the things that Trey talked about, which is like thinking from possibility. I don't recall if, if Trey used the phrase that she shared with us when we first met her, which is like creating the future from the future. I think a lot of people are coming in with like, this is how it's always worked versus how could I create this? Mm -hmm. Who would support me? Yeah. Right. And that is a, just a very different question and mindset to operate from. And that is what, where I do think power of language plays a really important role in this conversation because you will only, it's so cliche, but it's like you will only go as far as you think your, like your mind will allow you to go. Right. Mm -hmm. So operating from that mindset of like, well, this is the only way to get funding. Well, guess what kind of funding you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, that is, it's the topic of, of limiting beliefs versus limitless beliefs. And like, I know in my own, my own journey, exploring those belief systems in my own mind has been incredibly liberating for me. Um, to examine the areas where I have limiting beliefs in my business and my personal life and asking myself, how can I switch this to a limitless belief? Like, you know, back, you know, a year ago, I had the thought I can't be as successful as I am now working independently and only working with clients that are part of my purpose in life. Uh, my limiting belief was that if I were to do that, there wouldn't be enough clients for me to sustain myself. 
it would not be enough for me to have it be my whole business. The limitless belief that I created around that was that there are innumerable people out there looking to do the things that I, you know, the, in their work that I want to work with, um, currently doing and looking to do, um, and that there is no shortage of people in need of my services. And that when I say no to everybody else, I am making room for the clients that are, you know, aligned with my purpose and passion. And it took me some time, but when I really shifted that thinking, those clients flooded in. I mean, I, and that's not an exaggeration and that's not a, that's not me saying <laughs> it's, it's not me. It's not a sales tactic, right? It's not me saying, if you do it this way, you're going to have a 20 K month. I'm literally saying like for me in my personal life, I shifted this belief and in that shifting of my belief system, I created the life that I wanted. I created the business structure that I was looking for. And I am currently working only with people that are in alignment with my values and what I'm, my missions that I'm driven towards in my business. Um, and I'm sustaining myself very happily. Um, and so I think that there, you know, that conversation around um, shifting our belief systems is really important. And to me, this ties right back into what we've been talking about all season, which is doing the work internally, um, really embodying this practice, um, showing up for ourselves in this way, getting to know our needs, our desires, our values um, at a really deep level so that we can then reflect them in our business and personal lives. Um, and I think that that requires a lot of work and it's challenging and it takes time. It's not instant, it's not overnight, um, but it's incredible and it can create a, an incredible change in your own personal life um, and within any kind of organizational structure you belong to. Yeah, that's it's such a great example because I, I got to witness that with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the statement that I, I would like to end on is something that I learned through the Tony Robbins world where he says, like, it's not about your, your resources. It's about how resourceful you are. And looking at like your inner world as your a key resource, mm -hmm. uh, and the the power of questions and shifting the types of questions that you're asking yourself, because then again, when you ask yourself a different question, your brain starts looking for different answers, mm -hmm. and it does not dismiss the reality of you know someone who has access to millions of dollars and someone who doesn't right? That's a real thing. But it is a conversation that I think ought to have more because someone can also have a ton of money and be completely unresourceful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And so, yeah, like, I think that's just a, a really great tie-in of like, these truths can exist. And um, I can't necessarily control if I'm going to be able to access a million dollars today, but I can I can control my ability to ask different questions. I <laughs> love that. Do you want to end there? Yeah, I would call 